Bright Metal Audio presents The Blood Miles by Andrew Moody, read by the author. Volume 1, Chapter 1 It started with Eve, of course. On the day she came to Spillen, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and we were out the back of the town burying the sister of my best friend, Stick. The parson was going on and on, like he always did. He was saying how noble Angie was, and how we'd always keep her in our memories, and how sweet and fitting it was to die for your town. I was standing next to him with a shovel, thinking how sweet and fitting it would be to wham him in the head with it. I hated the way he always tried to dress things up like that. Angie hadn't been a hero. She hadn't chosen to sacrifice herself. She would have died scared. Maybe she'd tried to fight or bargain or switch to exile at the last minute. People did all kinds of things, but none of them looked like what the parson was talking about. Stick was on the other side of the grave with his hands in his pockets. He'd never been very close to his sister. She'd moved out of home when he was just a kid. But she had been the last of his living relatives. When the wake was over and he went back home to sleep above the machine shop, he'd be there by himself, and he'd know that he was the last of his line. I knew what that felt like too. Plex, the third of our trio, was standing next to him, holding the other shovel. He caught my eye and made a mock pious face. Flex would never be bothered by thoughts like that. He'd just go on being Flex. The parson finished his fancy speech and turned to Stick. Callan, would you like to say a few words? Stick kept looking down. Yeah, thanks for coming, everyone. I'm sure she would have liked you all being here. Yeah, that's all. Thank you, Callan, said the parson. These are hard situations. Sometimes it can take us a little while to express our grief. He turned and waved his hand at the old bluestone chapel that stood at the top of the cemetery. A second later, the tower bell began sending its tolls out into the motionless air. All the people started going past and shaking Stick's hand and patting him on the back. Meanwhile, Flex and I started filling in the hole. Flex was making a mess of it, chucking in big spadefuls, which was bad because it was likely to pull the blanket off Angie's face. But I couldn't tell him that with everybody there, so I just said, You do that end, brother, and got him to concentrate on her feet. We had just about got her covered when the siren went off, and everybody who was still hanging around went running. Not the three of us, though. I looked over at Stick. Unbelievable, I said. He picks this moment to run a drill. Probably making a point, said Stick. Probably. Why don't you stay here? I can cover for you with Strickton. Nah, it's okay, he said. I'll come. We can finish later. We put down our shovels and started down the hill toward the red earth rampart that lay beyond the silos. But just as Flex branched off to his post, one of the little kids that the mayor used for his runners came charging up from across the tracks. Boss says he needs you in the south red out, Chris. You two stick. He said to say it's not a drill. There's something really bad coming. He said it's Sav's. Then Stick swore, and we both started racing toward the wall. Soon we were at the top, running along behind the tyres and barbed wire and dodging around other people headed in the same direction. Some of them were carrying pitchforks and stakes, others had crossbows and molotovs. The South Redout was a command post, a sunken circle ringed with sandbags that looked down on the South Gate and out to the Mallee. Right now it was a hive of activity, and Mayor Strickton was standing in the centre of it with his legs apart and his field telephone up against his cheek. Yep, more on the South Gate, he was saying. No, a lot more than that. Someone shut off that siren. If they breach, we'll need everyone firing. Make sure Henry's got his thrower down there. 
When he saw me and Stick coming, he said, Good, here's our eyes. Get yourselves set up, boys. So I went up to the big anti-material rifle that was sitting there on its bipod, while Stick grabbed the binoculars and flipped off the lens covers. What are we looking at? I called. He shoved the telephone at one of his men and came over to us. I got a message from Oswald out on patrol. Says there's Sabs coming up the south road. Said they're driving something big. I need you to stop them. I want you to put a round through their engine block. Okay, I said. Have you got some ammo for me? Last of the good ones, said Strickton. High explosive tungsten. Make them count. They reached into his pocket and passed them to me. All fat and coppery green with a white ring near the tip. I'd never even seen one up close. The rounds I had trained with were all lead reloads. These were much heavier. Something from another time. I loaded the first one into the breech and put the other two down on the drop sheet. How long have we got? I said. Soon as your spotter sees them. Nothing yet, said Stick. Pretty hazy. Visibility out to about 6,000. He was sweeping back and forth, one hand fiddling with the stopwatch as the other grasped the binoculars. I want you to set for 600, said the mayor. You go at 600, you've still got time to get the other two off if you have to. Long as you're fast. Right through the engine block. Driver's going to be too hard to hit. You remember your specs? Yes, sir, I said. I began adjusting the scope from the figures I had memorised. Of course, I had no idea if those specs were right. Nobody had fired tungsten for years. For a generation. If the old rounds didn't work like they were supposed to, or if the velocity data was wrong, I could be way off. But there was no other option. I dialed the scope to allow for the fall and tried to imagine how the shot was going to work. At 600 metres range, travelling at three times the speed of sound, it would take a little over half a second for that bullet to reach the target. That meant I needed to allow not just for the fall of the bullet, but also for the movement of the machine. I would have to aim ahead of it. How far ahead, I wouldn't know until Stick gave me its speed. Then Stick said, We got brooches. He sounded pretty cool like he usually did, but he'd spoken a bit more quickly too. Still outside the markers, he said. Probably about 5,500. What are you seeing, son? said Strickton. Some sort of ATV, said Stick. Grey panels. Going pretty quick. Got a red X on its side. Well, well, said the mayor. Haven't seen one of those for a long time. What is it? I asked, still trying to find the vehicle with my scope. That's a central government vehicle. It'll be an agent driving it. And now I could see it, a tiny machine, speeding along the south road with big clouds of dust billowing up in its wake. Is that what you want me to hit? I said. He laughed as he heard the doubt in my voice. Not worth the trouble, eh? No, not that, son. Look behind it. Wherever you get agents, you get trouble following. He was right about the trouble, but not about my hesitation. I had my own reasons for not wanting to shoot at an agent. Reasons that I was never going to tell him. I pushed that thought away and tried to find what was following the van. I didn't have much luck. The scope on my gun had great magnification, but too narrow a field of view to be much good for something like this. Wherever I looked, there was just a cloud of churning chaos that made me lose my orientation. I can't see anything, I said. Me either, brother, said Stick. All I can see is... Oh, hold on! Oh, Tox! Ramrick! Really big one! It's not on the road! Look off! Look off to the left! I dipped and swung the scope. There was the little van, still speeding toward us. I went left, and there it was. It was a huge machine, an old mining truck with armour around its cabin and a big white skull painted onto that. Lower down, a kind of plough or wedge shape had been welded above the wheels. 
I'd never seen a live ram rig, though when I was a kid, I had played on the rusted wreck of one that had attacked the town in the days when my dad was young. In those days, it had been the Blood Soil clan that had been raiding the towns of the Autonomous Zone. Now the threat came from a host of smaller tribes, some just as ferocious. Travellers and merchants that came to Spillen told stories about attacks on caravans, about villages obliterated and about men butchered and women made into slaves, about children carried off to become new warriors. But I couldn't think about those things. I needed to be calm. Okay, that's 4,000, said Stick. I'm using the front vehicle for speed. I tried to concentrate on my breathing, but I was also wondering where I should be aiming in that massive grill to hit the engine block. 3,000, said Stick. 43 seconds. Can you give me a per second, I said. He fiddled with the slide rule, which seemed to take a hundred years. About 23 metres. That's 2,000, by the way. So I broke it down. If it took half a second to reach the truck, I needed to aim about 11 and a half metres ahead of where the truck would be when I fired the rifle. All right, count me down in hundreds from 1,000, I said. Yeah, brother. Just got 1,100. 1,000. It was a mind game then. I didn't have enough time to think about anything useful, but plenty of time to mess up my instinct by thinking about what would happen if I couldn't stop that machine. Images flashed through my mind of it smashing through our south gate. I thought of men in skins and war paint swarming through the streets, hacking down everyone in their path. I remembered how one survivor from Borough had described hiding in a drain while the Savs cooked people on a big grill. How could I hope to stop monsters like that with just my rifle? What if I missed? I tried to remind myself of my training. The mayor had picked me himself, said I was the best gunner they'd had for years. And these bullets were giant killers. They would punch through anything. I just had to get them in the right spot. But how was I going to adjust the scope for that second shot? 800, said Stick. My mind kept spinning. If it was 11 and a half metres at 600, what would it be at 400? Maybe 10? 700? I moved the crosshair out in front of the moving vehicle. Was that 11 metres? 600. Then I exhaled and squeezed the trigger. The sound was just immense. Dust stirred by the shockwave rose from the drop sheet. The recoil, even with the muzzle brake and suspension system, took me by surprise as it always did. But there was no time for thinking now. Go again, brother, shouted Stick. Hit the top of the ram. I swore, but I was already pushing the next round into the chamber. Five hundred. I slid back the bolt and sighted the weapon again. It was guesswork now. Was that four fifty? Come on, Gunner, you can do it, said one of the men in the background. Four hundred, said Stick. I fired again and immediately groaned. The sound was much too dull as if it had just been the primer that had gone off. And that gave me another thing to worry about. If the force hadn't been enough to eject the bullet from the barrel, the next round would explode, probably taking my face with it. Now my hands were shaking as I rushed to reload. 300, said Stick. I tried to aim for three metres in front of the cabin. Hitting the engine wouldn't make any difference. The machine's momentum would still carry it through the gates. I knew I would have to kill the driver and hope he or she would turn the wheel. 200, said Stick, and I fired the last round. There was no science or maths to it now. I just compressed the trigger as Stick called the number. The shot was a mess. Even as the butt kicked my shoulder, I knew I'd missed the mark. But now there was a flash of light through the slot grill over the driver's compartment. Something was burning in there, and something was happening to the steering. The truck was really lurching and swerving. It skidded. It was turning. It was running past us, parallel to the wall and slewing from side to side. As it went by, I could see that its tray had been converted into a kind of armoured fighting deck, full of wild men waving spears and machetes and spiked clubs. 
Up the front, there was one guy who almost seemed like a giant. For a moment, he was close enough that I could see the bones in his hair and all the toxists on his face. He was shouting something and holding up a red banner, and for a moment, I was sure he looked straight at me. But they were driving away, and it wasn't an out-of-control kind of way, but a we've-changed-our-minds kind of way. It was so sudden that we all just stood and watched it with our mouths open. Then everyone came to their senses and started firing guns and crossbows at them, which didn't do much, and then cheering and whooping, and big hands were slapping my back and mussing my hair, and when I looked around, Stick was up close and grinning and laughing at me. I thought I missed, I said. Yeah, me too. I saw your shot hit the top of the tray, but then something went off in the cabin. Must have deflected. All right, Walker. Not bad, said the mayor behind me. And when I turned, the man was nodding at me and giving the first smile I'd ever seen on his face. Come with me, he said. Let's find out what our visitor from Central is doing here. 